images reveal multiple replicating forms of the story of Land of Oz. In the virtual space on internet, the bookshelf is extended beyond geographical borders. Zizek defines this on the basis of the illusion of a happy American nation to be followed and believed in the present of encounters at any global portal of the virtual territory, simply meaning anyone in the world turning on the computer facing this meaning that is represented within the popular culture. The Wonderful Wizard of Oz is a children's novel written by Frank Baum and illustrated by Denslow, originally published by the George Hill Company in Chicago on May 17, 1900. It has since been reprinted numerous times, most often under the name The Wizard of Oz. Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours Conferring with the flowers Consulting with the rain And my head I'd be scratching While my thoughts were busy hatching If I only had a brain Zizek defines the legitimating process of meaning-making as an implicit political psycho-mechanism implemented consciously or unconsciously into the particular mind of the person who is the audience of media. A meaning is made for and on behalf of people by media, public literature and dominant dynamics which operate through a leading illusion which predicts or hopes for a desired social reality. This social reality can vary from representation of a region, representation of an identity, a culture, a religion, a nationality, etc. Why, five scarecrow bats in Kansas could do that. The crows would be scared to pieces. They would? Mm. Where's Kansas? That's where I live. And I want to get back there so badly, I'm going all the way to Emerald City to get the Wizard of Oz to help me. You're going to see a wizard? Do you think if I went with you, this wizard would give me some brains? I couldn't say. But even if he didn't, you'd be no worse off than you are now. The social realities are predicted by a totalitarian state. And media acts as a totalitarian state. What is a totalitarian state? The totalitarian state is a capital worldview or ideology. And this worldview is the power structure constantly forming, shaping identities of individuals as its members of society agency at a global scale, like internet or media, public literature, movies, or animations or music.
In virtual space, this totalitarian media passes geographic borders as well as blurring private and public boundaries. Just sitting in your room, in your computer, right in front of you, the process of a totalitarian illusion-making machinery works very, very simple. Um, by totalitarian, I mean um, a one ideology, a very hegemonic psyche produced by a capital state that holds the Western citizen within a psychic bubble no matter how far she or he travels. The first pathway to the illusion is introducing a constant threat from some region, some religion, some nationality, some, some side of the world called the other. This theater is always defined by the capital state according to imperial politics of the state, economy, politics, you name it. This theater can change from Japan to Cuba to Russia to Iraq to Afghanistan to East to etc. There's always a mad other behind this world control weapon threatening innocent West. The mad other. I can think of some popular examples in media. Wicked Witch of the East and its image represents a dark hair character with a foreign accent. A mad behind a world control machine. I can think of the adventures of Tintin series in uh, Tintin and the Lake of Sharks from the collection of stories by Hergé. Tintin in the Lake of Sharks by Hergé, that sort of reminds me of the der deriving illusion can alter from um, individuality to happiness to hope to freedom to a collective consensus, the totalitarian power driving dominancy in the realm of virtual machinery has the power to create any necessary illusion within an identity or related to a region. We can also think of the mad evil in Ninja Turtles, the penguin character in Batman stories, the Joker character, and the mad threats in the stories of Inspector Gadget.
want you to remember Clark Kent. In all the years to come, in your most private moments, I want you to remember my hand at your throat. I want you to remember. Let's keep on talking about how our perception and understanding of other people, nations, and in this special case of Seymour of East, is directed by the illusions made in our minds in the name of realities about these other nations, places, and people. Join us in the next Seymour Storyland for some more investigations. Seymour will talk to you soon next week on Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. with Eastern Tales in Persian Language and Western Media in English. Until then, take care. listening to CITR 101.9 FM شما به صدای CITR روی موج 101 ممیز نو گوش می دهید جامعه پژوهشگران پارس شما را به شنیدن برنامه بعد دعوت می کند
مرغ در بازگشتی دوباره به فلات ایران تک تک شما دوستان را به پروردگار نگه دارنده مهر و مهربانان می سپارد تا پنج شنبه دیگر با شهر قصه نو از آموزه ها اصوره ها و هنر فلات ایران for joining Seymour Storyland. You can listen to Seymour Stories at www.parsma.blogspot.ca or join Seymour Friends at facebook.com slash Radio. پاینده و پیروز در پناه خداوند باشید
This is Jesse Laborde, and you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM.
Talk about food and music, eating and grooving, munching and moving, forking and spooning, listening to tunes, yeah, dinner's on soon and to get ready for, ready for, peanut butter and jumps. You're listening to Peanut Butter and Jams with host Brenda and Jordy on CITR 101.9, exploring local music and local food. Tune in to learn about the best eats and tunes from your neighborhood and a weekly pairing for your date calendar. Warning, the endorsements and criticism expressed during the show are the opinions of the host, unless clearly identified as advertising. Put in your earbuds and fire up your taste buds. It's Peanut Butter and Jams. It's peanut butter and jams. Oh, that was you. You confused me. 
<laughs> I was like, oh my god, the track's somehow delayed. It's still playing itself. Not that you sound like Melanie. Yeah, just the same. Am I not on? This button. So we're off to a slow start here. It's Peanut Butter and Jams on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm here with Brenda and... Me, Jordy. Jordy. And we're the co-hosts. And today we've got a very special guest that we're going to call in a few minutes. Yeah, who are we going to call today, Brenda? We're going to call a Vancouver historian, Bruce McDonald. And he gives historical tours throughout Vancouver, uh, talking about the history and the buildings. And we're going to talk to him about the history of the brewery district in Vancouver. Yeah, it's, uh, it, Brenda went on a, on the tour, but this is all going to be new to me. So I'm pretty interested. Mm-hmm. But first, we'll start with some music. Yeah, let's listen to a song by uh, Other Jesus. Um, this song is from their new Bachelor of Art cassette. Um, well, actually, I, su- I say new, but it's actually like a year old. Uh, anyhow, this album is or this song is called Horses. It's still pretty good, though. We didn't play it too much when it first came out, so it's still new to us. Thank you. 
Now in its fourth year, Taken Turns provides a house concert style venue for local and touring musicians to share their music and stories. Each month, three artists or acts take it to the stage and play music in the round. It happens every last Wednesday of the month at the Grand Cafe located on 4124 Main Street. Taken Turns is committed to bringing live and original music to East Vancouver while raising funds for Little Mountain Neighborhood House through a monthly raffle. This would not be possible without the continued sponsorship of Van City, Bone Rattle Music, Dominion Blue Reprographics, and Seattle. 
WITR 101.9 FM. For more information about upcoming shows and artists, please visit www.takingturns.ca. That's taken without the G. May 7th, Thursday at the Media Club, Punk Rock Trivia Night. Hosted by CITR 101.9 FM's Rocket from Russia with Russian Tim. Come practice your punk rock nerdism. Hang out with friends, eat pizza, drink beer, and listen to punk rock hits. Brought to you by CITR 101.9 FM. Great success. And hello, and we are back, and you are listening to Peanut Butter and Jams on CITR 101.9 FM. Um, that song that you just heard was by EP Island, and um, it's off their Astonish EP. Great, and we have a special guest with us. Bruce, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Hi, Bruce. Bruce. Hi. Thanks for calling in. Sure. Great, so... Um, Bruce is uh, well-known is as the guy to tell uh, Vancouver's history. Um, can you give us a, a bit about your background, Bruce? Uh, well, I was born in Vancouver in 1948. My dad came here in 1911. My dad was actually in the first class at UBC, and I went there as well. And um, uh, eventually I ended up uh, writing a book on Vancouver, History of Vancouver, took me about 10,000 hours of work. I actually got a, a Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council grant to do it. What's it called? Vancouver, That's A Visual History. And um, um, so that kind of made me into a local historian. So s- since then, that was over 20 years ago, I get asked a lot to do walking tours and and to give talks and so forth. So more recently, I've been doing a lot of work on the early breweries of Vancouver, and uh, the whole history, uh, particularly in Mount Pleasant. But last weekend I did all of Vancouver uh, pretty well up to the present. Um, when you say that you, you did them, do you mean that, like, you had a talk on them? Or? Yeah, I gave an hour-long talk. Yeah, Yeah. so it was at Main Street Brewery on Sunday mm-hmm. morning. I was in attendance and a bunch of other beer aficionados. And, uh, yeah, it was really neat. Bruce uh, showed us a whole bunch of slides and pictures and then we did a little walking tour around the neighborhood. Uh, Bruce, can you give us a bit of uh, an introduction to Vancouver's brewery history? Uh, it's pretty interesting, really. Um, when you think about it, the reason why non-native people came to Vancouver was maybe one of the finest forests in the whole world grew here. That was namely the Douglas fir. And later on, uh, more attention was paid to the cedar trees. But originally, it was all Douglas fir. So the very first thing non-native people did was build, a, of course, a sawmill. And um, there's about two or 300 people working the sawmill, mm-hmm. pretty well entirely single men, young single men. So they, alcohol was banned from the mill site. This is in the 1860s at the foot of Main Street, more or less, and um, the North Foot. And um, so in 1867, when the sawmill actually started sawing lumber, Gassy Jack came from New Westminster in a little rowboat and one keg of whiskey, and he went ashore right on the the western edge of the mill property, which is, of course, Maple Tree Square today, where the Hotel Europe is and the statue of Gassy Jack and Spaghetti Factory. Right, of course. Right in there. He came ashore there, which is, like I say, just off the mill's property, which was Carroll Street. And he, a couple of the loggers came around and saw the workers. He said, hey, if you guys want to help me build a saloon, I'll give you a free drink. And by the end of the day, 
they had a one-room saloon, and they were inside getting drunk. <laughs> so that was the beginning, 1867, of Vancouver's downtown business district, because obviously that was the first uh, business that was created in Vancouver. So it's interesting that the, the history of Vancouver uh, goes right back to the first uh, saloon, which was the first building. And um, like I say, it's really be- partly because you get 300 or 400 or whatever guy, single young guys with paychecks and absolutely nothing to spend it on, uh, you know, because Vancouver Inlet then was a remote inlet more like Bella Coola is today, mm-hmm. um, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, thousands of miles. If you wanted to go to Ontario or visit Toronto, you pretty well had to walk across North America, you know, with your canoe strapped to your back. You got to paddle once in a while and portage the rest of the way. So, so those people um, kind of settled in and then a brewery built up around, or, oh, well, I guess a, a brewery is probably an overstatement at that point in time, but a saloon anyways popped up. Well, what, what created the breweries was was the fact that Everybody knew that a you know four thousand mile long railway was about to arrive on Burrard Inlet, so they knew the population was going to skyrocket because this had already happened to San Francisco, L.A., and Seattle. Mm-hmm. You know, property had gone up like a thousand times, and tens of thousands of people had poured in. So obviously, a few smart people could see this coming, and they knew um, that there was no piped water in Vancouver, and so the thing to do was to stake out some key sites on the uh, creeks and to get started on building some breweries. So right away in 1886, you've got three people buying land, and then you got the first breweries opening in 1887. One right down by the Marine Building, and there's a small creek there. That was supposedly where the first white guy settled in Vancouver, you know, John Morton, one of the three Greenhorns. And uh, uh, so those those three breweries, that's the way the Brewery Creek got its name? Yeah, because, well, there were th- three breweries pretty well on Brewery Creek, but... Mm-hmm. The first brewery was down by the Marine Building. It's called the City Brewery on the tiny little creek there. But it was a tiny creek, so it couldn't grow very big. In the 1880s, there was no piped water, so it came in about 1889, about 1890. So for the first three years, you had to have your brewery on a creek. And so there was one at the, pretty well the foot of Burrard there, north foot of Burrard, mm-hmm. by the Marine Building. And uh, then there was one, a, a bunch in Mount Pleasant. So you had... Charles Doring's Brewery on Brewery Creek at 7th and Scotia, which is where the you were mentioning the Main Street Brewery. Mm-hmm. That's actually in in the uh, the same site as the first brewery, big brewery in Vancouver, the main the Vancouver Brewery. And um, and the some the, the current brewery there, Main Street Brewery, is actually in one of the Vancouver Brewery buildings. It's a 1919 building. That and, building uh, hasn't so it, been knocked it, down and rebuilt. It's just the same building with new well, stuff inside. It actually wasn't a brewery building so much as a, a garage. They built a garage, I guess, to service their vehicles or something. But the brewery building, the actually original brewery, actual brewery building is next door in that, uh, that that's right at the corner of uh, 6th and Scotia. Back-to-back with the Vancouver uh, Main Street Brewery is the original Liverpool Studio in Vancouver, 1993. It's uh, building this stone at the first level and brick mm-hmm. on the second level. I can picture yeah. it, although I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, it's just called yeah. the Vancouver Brewery Building. and um, The Brewery Creek Building, I think. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. called the Brewery Creek Building. And Sarah McLaughlin bought one of the units in 1993, and they filmed some kind of documentary in there about what a cool place it was. And because that was the very first Liverpool Studio building in Vancouver when they changed the laws to make them legal, um, everything grew from that. 
so now we've got just on Brewery Creek in Mount Pleasant, which is, you know, sort of parallels Main Street uh, from 16th Avenue down to 1st Avenue. There must be at least 2,000 Liberg Studios along the creek now. Just because it was an industrial area, it made it easy to switch it over to, uh, uh, you know, work Liberg Studio buildings. So then there, were, there was another brewery um, just about four blocks west at 10th and Columbia on Columbia Creek, mm-hmm. and right where Mountain Equipment Co-op is. And then there was a short-lived one um, on Main Street 11th, the San Francisco Brewery. Um, what happened to all these breweries? Well, they were, they, you know, it's interesting. It, it's similar to what's happening today. You know, back then you had these young brewers. A lot of them are from Germany, um, where they'd been brewing beer for almost a thousand years, and, and some of them are from Britain. And, you know, they were doing their thing. The brewer, actual brewer himself owning the building. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, over time, people fail. Uh, some people get bigger. Like the guy who started the Vancouver Brewery there at 7th and Scotia, mm-hmm. he was a pretty smart guy, and he had a lot of connections. Like he had a couple of saloons in Gastown. He realized that the best way to, to sell beer was to own the hotels with their bars and their saloons. So he, you know, owned um, most of the, the saloons and bars in Gastown and then fed them with from his from his brewery. And I guess that put a few other people out of business because they couldn't necessarily sell so much beer. So he would set up like, um, up. like a huh? vertically a, a vertically integrated yeah. system. Yeah. Yeah. So he was that kind of guy. He had a lot of partners and uh, wheeling and dealing, and he absorbed a few of the other breweries. At least brought up the sites and stuff. And um, so you can see that was his kind of thing. You know, if you look at the people today, I mean, there's a number of them that are you know people that are totally into brewing and experimenting and. I mean, Main Street Brewery hasn't been open that much, that long, but it's already produced 20 different beers. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was going to UBC, <laughs> there's, I don't know, there's like three different beers you could have. It was either, and they were all exactly the same. They're all lagers with no flavor. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I'd like to remind you, young people, that back in those days, if you wanted to drink, you're a student at UBC, we, we would have to go all the way down to Gastown to get a drink, or, or the Fraser Arms down the oh, other wow. way. It was a heck of a long drive. And then a long drive home. <laughs> mm-hmm. Things have changed. So it's really interesting today how we got sort of a similar situation. We got a whole bunch of, you know, brewers run by people who are totally into brewing beer. That, in other words, the brewers themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, you got a whole thing going on now, a whole new thing. Like just in Mount Pleasant, I think there's seven breweries. Whereas from let's see, it was for 82 years there were none. And part of the reason they were none in, in Mount Pleasant for 82 years was. Just when things got rolling with the huge population explosion in Vancouver from 1905 to 1913, you had the war where 25,000 men left Vancouver to fight in the war. Mm-hmm. And then in 1917, you had prohibition. Alcohol became illegal. So how, how's that to put you out of business if you had a brewery? Is that what happened to most? Did most that uh, like you were saying that one guy kind of bought up a lot of the breweries and like ran a lot of saloons? Did he? Did, yep. he, did that company go out of business during? Well, he had retired by then, and the guy that took over really everything was Henry Rifle. Mm-hmm. And uh, the interesting thing about him was he had started that brewery at Eleventh and Main. He'd come from San Francisco, and he called it the San Francisco Brewery. And he only had it he for about three months. So I guess he must have just built the brewery and then sold it with maybe not really producing any beer. But he did take off that year, 1889, and head over to Victoria, where the, into the breweries there, and then he went to Nanaimo, he worked for the big brewery in Nanaimo, and then he ended up 
running the brewery in Nanaimo, and then he ended up taking over a bunch of breweries on Vancouver Island. And then he came back to Vancouver about 1908 or 1910 or somewhere in there, and he bought the Vancouver Brewery. And he combined it with the Nanaimo Brewery, the Cumberland Brewery, the Phoenix Brewery, like all a whole bunch of breweries, and he built a great big company. And that company, he took in a whole pile of shareholders, and they built a huge new brewery at 11th and Arbutus. Mm-hmm which they just tore down that brewery. I guess it must have been about 10 years ago to put in condos there. So that brewery ended up being gigantic, and I guess that must have knocked out everybody because there was really only one other brewery, and that was the one that's there at the end of the Bird Street Bridge. What was that brewery called? Uh, well, the, the company that Rifle put together was called the Vancouver Breweries Limited, and um, and then his sons took it over and were running it. And so... So Doring was out of the picture by about 1910. He'd built it up quite a bit, known 95% of the bars in Gastown, I think, or something like that, some kind of number like that. Mm-hmm. And then Rifle carried on with that and took over a bigger area because he owned the breweries in Vancouver Island. And um, I guess they did really well after Prohibition in 1921. Prohibition only lasted four years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what's interesting about, about um, the smart guys and the guys with influence and power and creativity is that when prohibition comes along, they kind of see it like an opportunity because they know it's going to knock out most people. So Rifle survived it by moving his brewery to Japan and developing how to make beer out of rice. And, you know, some of them switched over to vinegar or medicinal alcohol. Oh, they, interesting. You, know, they, you can get creative. And then I guess you get your lobbyists together and try and overturn the law. And you, know, you can do that. You can work at that level. If you're just the kind of guy who who's got a brewery because he loves brewing beer. You know, you're not, you're not going to do any of that. Mm-hmm. You're just going to quit, I guess, or move to a different country where you can brew beer legally. So it's an interesting sort of dynamic situation, I guess, even today uh, with all these new breweries. Some people have got lots of money. Some people don't have much money. Everybody takes a different approach, you know. Now we've got these tasting rooms. That's mm-hmm. a brand-new thing. Um, so... And so and the guys who own the Main Street Brewery also own four restaurants, so they're into the food thing. And um, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so when did Vancouver breweries go belly up or finish? Well, when they, you know, when they, um, it's a long, complicated story, really. But the Charles Doring's brewery is called The Vancouver Brewery, and then it got renamed the Vancouver Breweries in 1900 when they combined with the Red Cross Brewery, which mm-hmm. was that actually that very first brewery, the City Brewery, down by the Marine Building, got renamed the Red Cross Brewery, and it got expanded. So then they took over that brewery in 1900, and then they, and then I guess he sold out just around the time that Henry Rifle came in, and um, they called the Vancouver Breweries Limited. They built the, brought in a whole pile of money. We got the big, great big brewery. I think maybe Rifle at that point was just a partial shareholder. Then they actually went bankrupt around 20 or 1915, I think. Okay. And then, so Rifle then came back and, and bought it, bought up all the shares, probably at low cost. And then, then he, then he got hit by, by a prohibition. But by the twenties, they made a gob of money, Rifle and his sons. Right. And they made so much money, they actually built the Commodore, you know, on ground. Oh, mm. they built the Commodore. They okay. built the Commodore. Beer and music. Makes sense. And if you're an aging baby boomer like me, you'll remember the studio movie theater, more or less, down that same way. This little skinny movie theater, the great big neon sign, a great big S, about 30 feet high, and it said studio. They built that as well, and they they also, you know, ended up with the, what they call now call the Rifle Wildlife uh, 
bird sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And that's right at the most of Fraser River and, and uh, Delta, I guess. And, um, and of course, that, that was, I believe, what they used for rum running down to the States. Because in the 20s, there was prohibition in the United States, but not in Canada. Right, so lots of people would just run stuff across the border. Yeah, they would run stuff across yeah. the border. <laughs> so well, they... Or they could just take their boats down, you know, legally make the booze here, load up their high-speed boats with booze, and go right and stop at the rifle bird sanctuary. <laughs> it wasn't called that then, but... And then that's right near the border, so then they could just make a quick trip to the border. Now, if you meet somebody right on the border in the water, you know, you, I guess you can transfer to the American boat, and you're, you're not, you haven't done anything illegal yet, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, the Canadians aren't iffy. taking the risk anyways. <laughs> yeah, so they managed to make a lot of money doing that. When they finally sold out their business in 1933, they... The rifles got sued by the mayor of Seattle or something uh, for about, I think, $17 million, I guess, for <laughs> some form of illegality. So did they, going, did going they lose their fortune? or hmm? Did they lose their fortune in that lawsuit? No, or? no, they, yeah. settled, they settled for like way less money than that. They settled for like 10% of that or something, less than 10%. So, so they settled out of court, I guess. I, yeah. You know, that's how, they, that's how they do this. That's how the big guys do it. Yeah. Pay a small token amount and then pretend to stop doing it. So in your Something talk like on Sunday, you had a bit of a family tree or pedigree chart of yeah. all these breweries and which ones got bought into which ones. And at the mm-hmm. end, there was one, which was Molson. In the end, it's Molson because that big brewery there at um, at um, 11th and Arbutus, mm-hmm. that when the, the Vancouver Breweries sold it in a thinking, when was it? I guess in the 50s or something. Or in the 30s, they sold it to Carling O'Keefe. And then it was the Carling, Carling building for a long time, and then they sold it to Molson's. Meanwhile, the the, his, the other half of it is there was a guy named Emil Sick, S-I-C-K, and he built a brewery on Powell Street, 1400 Block Powell, like Powell and Clark there, mm-hmm. in 1932, and he called it the Capilano Brewery. And if you ever drank old-style beer, old-style Pilsner, that was made in that brewery. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. That's... That's really really interesting. I did drink Old Shell Pilsner. Yes, me I, too. Yeah. That's what I drank, and even in the 70s, 60s and 70s. And he owned also a brewery in Lethbridge. Like that's where the Old Shell started out. And then they, with after 1932, I guess at some point, they started making it in Vancouver. And so Emil Sick, and by the name, his name is S-I-C-K, but he, the symbol for the company was the letter six, because six and sick are sort of the same word, mm-hmm. sort of. <laughs> So it always had big, a big six on the label, or sometimes. He built that brewery at the Broad Street Bridge, like that. That was his expanded version of the Caplander Brewery. So and that's, that's the child, one that became the Molson Brewery, was, right? When I was about five years old, they built that brewery. I was actually born right near the brewery at 11th and Arbutus, but when you went over the Broad Street Bridge along Cornwall, you were looking dead at that Caplander Brewery. And... When I was about five years old, it was a really neat thing because the brewery had this sort of tower on it with neon neon rings around the tower. Mm-hmm. And if the rings were lighting up going up, it meant it was going to get from go from cloudy to sunny. And when the rings were rippling down, it meant it was going to rain. <laughs> and I certainly remember that from when I was five years old because it was like the coolest thing you'd see on the drive from... From our Broadway and Arbutus down to Van- downtown Vancouver, is that? That's pretty neat. I guess they eventually yeah. just replaced it with that sign that tells you the temperature and the time. 
Yeah, it did tell you the temperature of the time and the and the weather, the coming weather. So, so it's kind of boring now. It's it's really lame when they you know they always seem to get rid of these neat things. And right next to the um, the brewery Lymph in um, Arbutus, right at the corner of Broadway in Arbutus, was the McGavin's Bakery with a gigantic hand sticking out of the roof with a big loaf of bread on it, like about twenty thirty feet long. So that was the other landmark <laughs> as a kid. Of course, you'd remember from the good old days. There was those giant weird signs. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Um, so do you think that uh, history is going to repeat itself with uh, all these breweries that are opening up, gradually amalgamating into one or two breweries? Well, I mean, the first brewery in Mount Pleasant, um, since the last one closed uh, in the 20s, I guess, was 1997, was R&B Brewing. Mm-hmm. And they've been eclipsed. They were the first one, 1997. They've been eclipsed by things like the Main Street Brewery, which has... You know, reasonable food and mm-hmm. and and a nice seating area, and uh, of course they were planning to have a tasting room, but they've never had one. They just got bought out by by House Sound Brewing out of Squamish. Oh, did and they then, really? I I didn't yeah, know that. Just got bought out, hmm. and then the new kids in town are the are Big Rock Brewery out of Calgary. They just spent I think five million dollars to build their. Yeah, their, I've I've actually been to their their space that's is it open yet yeah it's open yeah it's very big they're brewing but they haven't they've only got some of their beers that they brew there available because they haven't all been they haven't all been finished yet so a lot of the beer is just from alberta still and you notice they've got a new brewery creek beer there named after all the goings on on brewery creek (laughs) (laughs) they released it was on their website Mm -hmm. and then you got you know the steel toad brewery which is you know the mammoth the old um, Opsal Steel Building, which, by the way, I helped to save, or at least I worked to to save it. And, you know, it's one of the last industrial buildings in Falls Creek, which used to be... When I was a kid, it was solid industrial buildings, and Falls Creek was full of logs, and it was there were 10 sawmills there around the edge of Falls Creek, and there was so much smoke. We had 110 days of fog a year mm-hmm. in the 50s, and now we got 10 now. They got rid of the sawmills. So that Steel Toe Brewery is kind of... It's completely different than the other ones because it's so big with a, yeah, what, a 30 or 40 foot high ceiling. It's gigantic. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's full of businessmen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the beer is really good. <laughs> some of well, it is. I, I, I only like some of their beers, but yeah, they've got some good ones. Yeah, <laughs> It's amazing how many good beers there are out there now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, can you tell us a bit about, you mentioned that the landscape of the city has changed dramatically with like moving from creeks and ditches and trees. Uh, can you talk a bit about more, more about that? Well, it's humans. We're like, well, yeah. I won't say we're like pond scum, but we, you know, but you know, the, it's interesting how it just expands. You know, our presence here has expanded from, well, I, I like to point out in 1886, you know, the, the Vancouver burnt down. The fire was June 13th, 1886. There were four buildings left in Vancouver. And now, and you know a few hundred people, like maybe 800 people in Gastown there, there mm-hmm. around Broad Inlet. And now we got the blob is two million people. You know we've spread hundreds of thousands of buildings, and that's really all just in one human lifetime, or just more than one human lifetime. And and I like to use that phrase. I mean that's a huge change, which you don't notice maybe so much, <laughs> you know, over the period of a few years, but. But it's an incredible amount of change. And um, the reason why I say one human lifetime is the guy that ended up owning the, the sawmill there in Gastown when it was the only thing in Vancouver, when he owned it, um, 
His, he was the big sawmill owner in, in New Westminster. Mm-hmm. His name is John Hendry. He became like the richest guy in BC. But his daughter was born in 1886 when Vancouver was Ford Buildings, and she died in 1989. Right after Expo. Or, yeah, she yeah. lived that long. She lived, and even even myself. I mean, I was born in 1948, and when I was alive, Gassy Jack's wife was still alive. <laughs> 1948, she oh, died. Wow. So that's how recent everything is. It's kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, money is pouring into Vancouver. That is why real estate's going up. And I was in Dubai in, what, 2007. And Vancouver then was booming. We had 500 construction cranes. And Dubai was booming. It had 8,000 construction cranes. And it's in the desert, you know, so it just goes to show you when money pours into anywhere, any spot on the globe, you, you get a giant city and money and everybody's making money. And another example is Las Vegas. I mean, well, Las Vegas is just a piece of desert until mm-hmm. everybody decided to build big hotels there, and that's what's going on in Dubai. Everybody, the oil billionaires have decided that Dubai is going to be where they all put their money. And so Vancouver is becoming a place where people from China have decided together, I think, you know, if we all, if us 10 billionaires all invest in Vancouver together, we will drive up each other's land and we will all make money. So that's just my real estate advice. I own a bit of real estate and I'll tell you, it's just going to keep on going up because this is the go-to place to make money. And if you read the paper this morning, they said there's a lot of um, illegal money being laundered in Vancouver, like money from all kinds of crimes is being put into Vancouver real estate because... You know, they know it's going to keep going up, and they're going to make a quick buck, and they're going to money launder their money easily. Huh, yeah. So, and I'll remind you, Lululemon guy, just, you know, Chip Wilson. Yeah. He sold a bunch of shares last year. He he ended up with half a billion dollars in cash. He put it all into Vancouver real estate. So as long as that's happening, things are going to keep on changing and keep on growing mm-hmm. and keep on becoming more expensive. Oh, well, yeah, it's a... Uh... I guess depending on what side of ownership you're on, that's either good or bad. But well, you know, it's kind of weird. I, you know, I got real estate this this going up like crazy, and you know, it doesn't make any difference to me because I'm just not going to move. I'm not going to go out and buy a Ferrari and a box of cigars or something. You know, mm-hmm. and, and most millionaires, you know, do not change when they when they become rich. They live in the same old house they always lived in, and it's partly because they they don't want to leave their neighbors and their what they're used to and where they're you know where they're accustomed to to go live in Shaughnessy where you you'll never even know who your next door neighbor is you know if you're on a one acre lot <laughs> like people don't want to do that they're, they're they want to stay close to whatever the church they've always gone to the school their kids went to or all their friends live and so it, that that's sort of the irony of it like all most of the people that are making the money are doing absolutely nothing with it when they die you know it gets cashed out but while they're alive, living in a $3 million house on the west side, they're no different than they were when they bought that house for $20,000 in 1970. So, Bruce, you were talking a bit on the tour about how new developments in Mount Pleasant had to pay some sort of homage to homage to history. Can you talk a bit about that? Um, well, what I can tell you about that is when 1992 in my book came out, I was around that time I was president of the Brewery Creek Historical Society in Mount Pleasant. And um, around that time, let's see, maybe a few years after that, maybe it was around, yeah, around that time, like mid-1990s, the city planner for Grandview 
<clears throat> sorry, for, for Mount Pleasant. City plan for Mount Pleasant came to one of my talks about the history of, of Brewery Creek and the history of Mount Pleasant. And she came up to me at the top and said, oh, that was fantastic. He, can you come into City Hall and give that same talk to my staff? And I go, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And so she used to get me to do this every year for about 10 years. I'd go on for about two hours, and there'd be 20 people in the room. And um, it's, after about 10 years, I said to her, why am I doing this again? Yeah, I can't remember why we were doing this, really. And she said, well, because I'm the planner for Mount Pleasant, and for the longest time, there's absolutely nothing going on in Mount Pleasant. Nobody cared about it. Right. She said all the action was in Gastown and, and Yaletown and Kitsilano and Falls Creek and tons of buildings going on there. And she said, I, abso- I had absolutely nothing to do. So she said, I thought if I could bring you in. Yeah, she said, I always got a bunch of developers in, in the audience as well as city staff and uh, architects and building owners and people looking to invest. She said, if I thought if they can get excited about <laughs> Pleasant, they would start building some buildings here. Well, but the kicker for me was, huh? They did. Well, you know, why? You know, because in about 1995, the Mount Pleasant BIA had their annual general meeting, the Business Improvement Association, mm-hmm. and they brought in this speaker. Um, God, I forget his name. Anyhow, fairly young guy, like 40 or something. He stood up and he said, you know, I'm a business consultant. He says, if someone's got a chunk of money and they want to build a shopping center or, you know, invest it, they come to me. This company's called Site Economics. And he says, so I have consulted in my life on over a 1,000 shopping center developments in British Columbia. Now, what that means is he's consulted on all of them. Yeah, almost, anyways. Yeah, pretty well all of them. So he, um, Richard Wozni, that's his name, Richard Wozni. So, so he said... And he, basically, people come to him, and, and because if you got $10 million and you want to invest in a shopping center, what do you know about, about shopping centers? Nothing. So they go mm-hmm. to him, and he tells them where to put it, what kind of stores to have, how big to make it, you know, how big, you know, just all the key economic things. And um, so he finished his talk by saying, <laughs> this is 1995, he finished his talk by saying, you know, if I had any money to invest myself right now, I wouldn't be buying up land in Mount Pleasant. And the reason why is, he said, Mount Pleasant's got it all. You know, everything within walking distance that you could want. Uh, it's got history, it's got character, and it's, everything's relatively low-priced here. It's a great place to invest. And uh, sure enough, all the big guys are in there now. Right. And they're building big buildings, and they're all making big money. And uh, Richard was, and he probably advised them to do it. Well, yeah, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of that there now. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about just on a personal level mm-hmm. um of the all the breweries you sound like you're fairly familiar with a lot of them um yep. do you have a favorite or a favorite uh, no, beer? or a favorite, or a favorite beer and um they're all different and they all you know it's great to have the variety and uh, they're all all the people that are running them are interested in trying to do something new and interesting and you know be attractive and show people a good time and, you know that's the they're a pretty big team of people you know I th- there's more than eight owners involved in, I think, well, maybe about, well, there's a bunch of people, and they all bring different things to them. Mm-hmm. So, so um, they're all completely different. I, I think they're all terrific, really. You know, Do you go out of your variety. way to try the new ones as, as they open up? Huh? Do you go out of your way to go, go visit the new ones as they open up? Yeah, I, I try to keep track, although, you know, I'm just interested in too many things, so I just spread too thin. But certainly, um, you know, I live in Grandview now, and... Uh, the, the north part of Grandview, 
Woodlands, which is the name of the local area. The north part down on the waterfront there is called has always been called Cedar Cove, although nobody knows that mm-hmm. because the city's never done a map. But uh, but Cedar Cove's got what four breweries there, and that was the very. I'll just remind you of the historic. Wait, where? Uh, right at Powell and Victoria. Oh yeah, and, uh, okay. Where they all meet there. Was, there's a JJ Bean there now. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, it's just right there that the very first building it was ever built in Granby Woodlands was built in 1889, and needless to say that was a brewery. <laughs> And there was a small creek there. Like, there's really no creeks at all in Grandview, but mm-hmm. there was a small creek that came down the hill and went into the bay there called Cedar Cove, right at the point of the of the bay. And um, so that's where they built the brewery. And it was built by Joseph Kapler, who was actually one of the guys working at the Vancouver Brewery in the 18, I guess, 1887, 88. Right. He broke off and he started built, his, built own. his own brewery because his father owned a brewery in California called the Etna Brewery, which is still there. And um, so, you know, there's a lot of history all over the place. But, you know, you got four breweries there now, uh, right within a block of where the very first brewery was in 1889. So that's kind of a neat concentration. But certainly Mount Pleasant is probably the biggest, with its seven microbreweries, is probably the biggest concentration in British Columbia, you know, all within a 10-minute walk of each yeah, other. There's, there's more opening up, too. Oh, it's amazing, it's, yeah. It's uh, I, Like mushrooms. I think yeah. we heard in a previous show, we were talking to someone uh, about how there are almost a hundred that are that have applied to open at the least. Not, they might not all finish, but it's like marijuana stores. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's really neat. It's a business <laughs> person doing doing their thing, and everybody doing it differently. And it's really you, uh, quite fantastic. And, and did you um, start poking into brewery history because someone said, "Hey, Bruce, this would be really cool," or well, was it the plethora of new breweries that inspired No, 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 you. no. I mean, I'll remind you, I, I said I was president of the Brewery Creek Historical Society in mm-hmm. the early 90s, and the reason why we had a Brewery Creek Historical Society, it could have been called the Mount Pleasant Historical Society, but the two guys that founded it, um, Claude Douglas and Charlie Christopherson, in about 1986 or 7, they, they founded it because they lived in Mount Pleasant, and, and Claude Douglas had lived his whole life in Mount Pleasant. He had worked, or sorry, played in Brewery Creek when he was a kid. It was still exposed, and um, that that building um, that the Vancouver Brewery built, the first Liverpool Studio building, it's 1903. It's next to the Main Street Brewery building. Um, that was the site of the Thorpe Soda Water Works in 1889, and Clyde Douglas actually worked for the Thorpe Company. So he was just this amazing guy, and he died, I guess, about 10 years ago. But he was just an amazing guy. He could bring up anything about Mount Pleasant, and he would have an anecdote or a story about it because <laughs> he'd lived through it all. Mm-hmm. So that's the beginning of it. And we we knew. I mean, and there was no breweries in Mount Pleasant nineteen in those in nineteen eighties and even into the most of the nineteen nineties. They were long gone, eighty years gone. But we, you know, we used to fantasize in the early nineties that someday there would be a Brewery Creek Beer Festival, a Beer Soda Pop Festival down Scotia Street. Uh, where all the Liberty Studios are now today. Yeah, the I mean the location was a little only a little bit off. There, there I think there basically have been some. Yeah, all kinds of different things. Yeah. But the, the thing about Scotia Street is one block east of Main, so it's you're off the Main Street. But mm-hmm. now, of course, they're blocking off the Main Streets for these festivals. So we we just talk about it, you know, a lot and imagine that someday it would happen. You know, and just never imagine it would happen with seven breweries. <laughs> Must be neat to um to have thought about that and to see it all. Start, yeah, start happening it's, now. It's, it's amazing, really. I mean, it's like uh, 
getting booze into the Rio Theater. You know, who thought that was going to happen? Oh yeah, that was that was pretty impressive when it went yeah. from nothing, and then people were complaining, and then all of a sudden it was there. <laughs> I know it's, it's amazing. Who you know? It's yeah. just, so there's this hope for for the future being interesting. <laughs> Well, thanks so much um, for calling in. We're uh, running a little bit out of time, so we. Sure. Um, but uh, uh, just stay on the line, and Brenda will say goodbye to you. We're going to put a song on, listeners. Okay. And this has nice been. To talk to you. Yeah, um, this has been Bruce McDonald. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? Any your book or anything that people, if they wanted uh, more information about you, they could get. Well, my book, I could say, is Vancouver Visual History, and it's really a companion to any book that you'd ever read on Vancouver because it's got so many illustrations and maps and everything, graphs in it. So it's a, it's a nice side book to have going on all the time, or you can just read the whole thing straight through. But what I'm going to be doing at the Main Street Brewery again is, I think, three more talks. And um, that's kind of a cool thing because you get an hour-long talk from me, and I, and I really will illustrate everything, like probably 100 slides I fly through. And then um, you get, you know, sampler beers, and then I take people on a walking tour, and they get a tour of the brewery. So that's going to happen three more times, and then I guess every month now. So that's a fun thing to do if you want to... You know, that sounds pretty neat. Do you know what day the next one is going to be? I think it's May 29th. Okay. And how so can the end people of the month, find out well about that? May, June, July, I guess. And is there like, a website or a link? Where it's on their website, the Main Street website, okay. although I, you know, it's almost impossible to find. But <laughs> well, not impossible, but it's kind of it's, it's a little bit hard to dig down. Our, our listeners are industrious. I'm sure yeah, they, they can. You guys are young. You can figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, thanks so much. Uh, we're going to go to a song, and uh, Brenda will just uh, say goodbye to you on the phone. Very good. Thanks.
that I get older Someone tell me why I look into the mirror And see another guy Sit there and get older And we are back. Uh, that was Adrian Teacher. Um, that was two songs by Adrian Teacher. One old one um, from a compilation. Um, it was. It's called Husband, and the compilation was called Him Who Is There, a Roland Hunt tribute. And then the other, the second song is by Adrian Teacher and the Subs. His new group, Adrian Teacher, is. Um, you might have heard of Apollo Ghosts. You might have heard of Gal Grayson. Um, cool TV. Cool TV. He's um, always making music in some sort of band. And um, currently he's performing as Adrian Teacher in the Subs. And they have a new album called Sorta Hafta. And that song is called When Did I Get Older. And um, as with most of his projects, it's him, his wife Amanda, and one other person. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of cool. There's a video which has a friend of mine in it. Getting older. Getting older. Living in the Yukon pretty good place the yukon um so we're gonna play another song we can get yeah we have another song planned um just before you want to hear prairie cat sure just before we go um into that song this will probably be our last song um we should plug the upcoming shows um the matt and ryan show featuring ryan this time Mm -hmm. Um, matt sent us an email saying that uh just ryan would be around this uh this airing of it so stay tuned for that and um thunderbird radio hell uh will be coming up with after that with ben Lai. um and i did have one lowbrow plug that i wanted to give for the A&W pepper bacon burger <laughs> it's really good if you like fast food burgers i would this one was not is not a waste of your time it's delicious there's also an event called Taco Fest coming up on May 9th and 10th at Harbor Event Center. 
might be worth. That sounds pretty sweet. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know much about that. Taco Fest. Friend, I don't. I don't know. Brandon knows a lot about it yet either. I do not. But, but I just if you're a it. fan of tacos, which I you am. should look into that. It's um, May tenth, Taco Fest at Harbor Event Center. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves tacos. Um, so this is a song by Prairie Cat. A new single. A new single. Um, Prairie Cat being the stage name of Prairie, or sorry, Carrie Pratt. And, um, and the new single is called On the Lamb, but I'm not sure any of it is on the internet and we forgot to download. We forgot to download the track, so we're going to play you a track called Who Knows No, Where we do have On the Lamb. We do have On the Lamb. Okay, yes. We're going to play it as our final track of today. Thank you for listening to Peanut Butter and Jams. And um, have, a good, have a good couple of weeks. We'll be back soon. Never mind, the song is called No Bedroom. <laughs> <laughs>